Hello everyone, my name is Maciej Nowak and welcome to Awesome to Know podcast where we discuss all things WordPress. My today's guest is Thomas Kloss, who is the founder of Kloss Agency, one of the top SEO agencies in Austria. Thomas does SEO for already 15 years and he has seen it all. In this episode we are covering, yes you guessed it right, SEO aspects, but not only. We also discuss what new AI tools bring to the table and their influence in the space. We also talk how SEO play main role for different business models. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Thomas Kloss. everyone, it's good to have you here. We're glad you decided to tune in for this episode of the Awesome to Know podcast. Hello, Thomas. Great to have you on, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for, for making the time today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And let's, you know, Let's introduce yourself. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you are doing and where are you coming from? So our listener can, listeners can have also some, uh, you know, make a connection with, you know, where are you coming from? Mm -hmm. So I have an online marketing agency in Vienna with about 10 people on the team. Um, while we do everything from uh, paid search, organic search, performance marketing, kind of the core offering remains to be SEO. So that that's also kind of where my heart is. And I think that's what we'll talk about today uh, is the SEO side of online marketing. Perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, how, how, how did it start for you with the SEO? Because, you know, it, it's already a couple of years when, when you are running the, the, the company, the agency. It, it yeah. bears your name as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I first started... Probably I, I was working at a, a charitable hospital in South India at the time and some guy come, came in from the US uh, and, and explained search engines to me at, at, with the example of Alta Vista and Ask Jeeves back in the day. And uh, then I grew into the web team. I learned HTML, CSS, um, and we created the first website of the hospital. And then maybe a year later, somebody told me that he heard that there's something you can do to manipulate the Google search results. Um, so I got in the game very early on. It was kind of intriguing and interesting. And we experimented a lot, tried out a lot of things. It was like the Wild West back then on, on Google. Uh, and that grew into a business. I started on my own and slowly started growing the team. Um, and now, 15 years later, we're at 10 people plus external freelancers. Um, and it's going quite well. Great. So, you know, talking about the CEO, I will ask this, this question, you know, um, why should I even care about the SEO? You know, is it not enough if I launch my website? Well, it may be, <laughs> actually, I'm not saying that everybody has to do SEO. Uh, it may be enough, but the thing is still that for most people, Google is the gateway to the internet. So if, if you're not uh, crawled and indexed by Google uh, and, and visible in the search results, um, there's a good chance that people won't find your website. 
and then you may have a beautiful website, but you don't have a lot of traffic. Of course, there are other traffic channels that depending on your business model may be more important. Uh, you may get traffic from social or direct traffic uh, or, or paid. Um, but for, for most websites that the lion's share, like the biggest part of the traffic still comes from Google, from organic search. Uh, so yes, it is recommended to uh, do a good job on your SEO and be present in the search results. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I'm asking because, you know, the strategy, when we are talking with, with clients, you know, when mm -hmm. I asked them about, you know, what, what did you do, uh, you know, before building a new website with us, for example, what, what were you doing in terms of the SEO, you know, oh yeah, we were caring about this uh, very much. And then we log into the WordPress panel and see and, and do we see nothing? So, you know, it, it's sometimes the case and, you know, sometimes those are, you know, big, big organizations and, you know, with, with an investment, considerable investment, not caring about the SEOs, like, you know, um, shooting in the foot, like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I fully subscribe to that. However, I would like to differentiate a little bit bet between there, there are some businesses where SEO is hugely important to them and usually they know it uh, when it is. That's, that's anybody who provides a um, service or a product where there's a high search volume, um, like a useful product that solves a particular kind of problem. Um, or they have a service like a like a plumber and people search for a plumber online or it could be um, a tutorials or informational queries if you cover any any of that kind of stuff seo is hugely important to you to be present in the organic search results is going to um, really impact your business um, but but there are other businesses that where the impact may not be as huge as people think so we don't recommend active SEO to every business because if they're like high level B2B or in the, if they're in a very small niche where there's no search volume or hardly any search volume, um, it may not be worth it to do SEO or, or if they provide products that nobody needs, like certain type of fashion items uh, that people well, don't even you... know. If, if, well, if people don't know something exists, uh, like a few years ago, that, that fidget spinner was super uh, trending everywhere. And nobody needs that. Uh, nobody knows it exists until they see it in, in social media and other channels. But it's, it's impossible to promote a product or service via SEO where there's no need yet, where there's no market yet. You need the search volume. You need the search intent to search for the product. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. So... So and this is very, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. With some, we recently had one client, they did um, forensic watermarking. So their search volume for watermarking, for example, photographers want to watermark their uh, photos um, so they don't get pirated or stolen. So the client wanted to rank for, for watermarking, but what they did was forensic watermarking for pay TV providers, pay TV operators. So for, for Netflix, for high-level sports streaming sites, they have a potential of 50 customers or 100 customers worldwide. Uh, you, you don't need to rank for watermarking. No, none of, like Netflix will not go to Google and, and Google, I need watermarking for my business. Um, or a similar thing for like an architect. If, if you're an architect 
who builds single-family homes, then yes, you want to be present on Google. You need to be in the search results. But if you're an architect who uh, gets government jobs, who builds, like in, in Vienna, they're just building the, a new subway line, now, the city of Vienna is not going to go on Google and search for an architect to build a new subway line, the U5. Um, there's a construction site, it's just outside my window, that's why I'm kind of using the example. Um, so for this kind of architect, it, it may not be very important to be present in the search results. They have to be there for their own business name and for queries related to their, their business because people will do research, they will hear about them and do, do research and find out what they do, how they do it, what other people say about them. So that part is important. Um, but to rank for generic uh, service-related keywords may not be that important to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So we have unpacked that not everyone needs SEO because this is not everyone's, uh, you know, it, it won't bring nothing new for, for their website. So there is there has to be that critical mass of search uh, queries, you know, that uh, SEO can gather. But also you, at the very beginning, you mentioned that, you know, active, that term active SEO. So can you unpack this a little bit uh, for our listeners? Because there is mm -hmm. this active SEO, but also the website can be SEO friendly. So there is, you know, there are different um, components to SEO. And if you can like, lay out the ground of SEO world for our listeners? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, the making a website SEO friendly, um, usually we support businesses um, or oftentimes with one-time SEO packages. For example, when they do a website relaunch or they launch a website uh, for the first time, then you want to make sure that it's indexable, it's crawlable, um, there are no technical issues that the page loads fast, uh, page speed is fine <clears throat> and other technical that information architecture is logical, it's well structured um, and people have the tools to, uh, for example, manually override the title tags or, or other important aspects of the website. So that's kind of the initial thing. and. Um, this is kind of the groundwork and is usually enough for businesses to rank for their own company name. Um, and if they already, like for a relaunch, if they already have a good authority to keep the rankings that they already have. Um, that's a kind of investment that I recommend to, let's say, 99% of all website owners uh, who do a relaunch or who launch a website. Um, and then there is the active SEO part, which is usually an ongoing cooperation between a client and us or, or any SEO agency, um, where you actively promote the site and grow the authority by building backlinks, for example, um, by um, improving the content on the website, by publishing new and fresh articles, depending on the niche, that's more or less important. But content SEO is, for most businesses, very important um, to define new topics, to really find out what the target audience needs, to work with seasonal trends. Because in, in highly competitive markets, the competition isn't sleeping. So everybody's trying to get in the top three search results, organic 
uh, search results. And things also develop on Google's side. Um, the the um, featured snippets appear or other SERP features uh, come in and then disappear again. So you need to kind of um, always be on top of the game. So this would be an ongoing cooperation with us and a client where we um, oftentimes even become experts in the field uh, of the client ourselves because we produce the content, we uh, do some public relations, we have our media con connects where we can uh, publish articles or get the, get the client an interview somewhere that boosts his authority, um, the trust that Google has in them uh, as a person or as a business. Uh, and then build good content or do one thing that works really well is video content and then publish that on the website and transcribe the video and publish it as text as well. Mm -hmm. So do then, get, of, hmm? yeah. Yeah, do I get this right that YouTube, for example, is the second biggest search engine out there? It is. So you, there are some sites we, we work on, they get more traffic from YouTube than. Uh, from organic um, or not traffic let's say they get more views video views on youtube than they get uh, hits on, on the website um, and also of course google itself um, shows videos in the search results um, this happens for any type of tutorials like if you search for how to clean a bicycle chain Usually Google doesn't show you a long article uh, and they won't show you a product page for, for cleaning kids because that's not the intention here. Um, they'll show you a video on how to do stuff because if, if that's the best answer to your query or to the user's query, they will show a video or it may be a list or some, some other thing. Mm. I'm also observing um, a trend or maybe not a trend, but you know, on my experience it's like it's like uh, when I'm looking for something like this, like practical advice, how to do something. And first 10 articles are all the same. So for example, um, can I drink this and this to do something? Or can I, how can I solve my problem with, I don't know, accountancy, let's say. I just invented the question. And then there are 10 articles, everyone the same. My question is, should I do this or that? And then there is that header answering this question, should I do, do this or that? But the answer is hidden in the article itself. So I have to get into the article and the article is two or three screens, uh, you know, long article, all fluff, no, no answer. And I have to dig through this article to, to like, to, to extract the answer to do the simple question. And, you know, this is some kind of stuff that I'm seeing more and more. And I'm, um, I'm very frustrated. So, you know, those are the companies that are trying to sell a service around this question. But then I tend to go to YouTube to see the answer because, you know, I can seek through the, through the video and have the answer very quickly. I mean, depending on the question, of course, but, you know, um, is, is that kind of article really, because I guess this is for the SEO purposes. So uh, is this really helping the, uh, the SEO results? And th those kind of answers are provided by big uh, portals more, more, most often. So it's not like, no, the business is, uh, is selling this service all the time, but it's like gathering the traffic for big news outlets or like uh, self-help platforms and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I hope maybe somebody from Google will watch this video, maybe John will learn <laughs> and take the feedback seriously, because this is a terrible user experience. This is something Google definitely wants to avoid, and they are quite good at avoiding it. it I've, in my experience over the last 10 years of looking at search results or more, um, it's gone a lot less. It's gotten a lot less uh, where you see that every listing on the first uh, page of Google has the same exact title tags with the keywords stuffed in there and an optimized meta description. You get there, it's like a too long, huge article with just blah, blah, nobody wants to read. So it, it is getting less, um, but it's, it's still there. In my opinion, uh, it's going to fade out. It's not going to work on the long run. Um, what Google is most interested in is happy users. Google wants to I mean, their business model is to sell ads, right? So every search results page for Google is a free space for them to sell ads on. So they want more searches to be done on Google because the more people come and search on Google, the more ads they can sell, the more space they have to sell ads. So I think that the primary goal is to make their users happy and to show them the search results that they expect. Uh, I mean, in your case, if you then go to YouTube and search there, it doesn't really matter because they own that as well. Uh, <laughs> but, but if you go to uh, other search engines, then, then it's a real, real problem for them. Um, what Google tries to do, and they put a lot of effort in that and, and uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms in understanding the user's query, like understanding the search query. And I mean, when you look at your search console data or Google ads data, you see keywords uh, there, what people search for before they click. It's sometimes not very clear what they mean. I mean, people are weird and they search for weird stuff and sometimes don't express themselves uh, very accurately. Um, so Google's intent is to really find out what is the search query? What does the person mean? Uh, what is the search intent behind that? And that, as, as an SEO, I see as my primary um, work as well. Or my, what I need to do, especially in the first phase when I do keyword research and define content strategies, is what keywords do I want to rank for? Uh, and what is the search intent behind those keywords? What does the person expect to see? Like, what is most helpful to them? Um, when I see a search query, I've understood try to understand what is the problem that person has, what do they expect to see, and how can I help them best and most to, to fix their problem, to fulfill their dreams, to show them a product. And sometimes it's a um, transactional search query where somebody wants to buy a particular product or compare two products to each other. Then they want to see something very different they want to see a product page or a comparison page with a, with a, a nice uh, spreadsheet to, to have the, the stats and compare everything. Um, it's very different from an informational query where you have a big topic and you search for information on a particular topic. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, woodblock prints from Japan from the 18th century, for example. Uh, you don't want the product page, you, you probably want an to research that topic. Um, and then there, there's some uh, informational queries that are answered with a simple sentence. Uh, 
for example. I don't know. You may ask for how, how long can I um, keep pizza in the fridge and still eat it? Okay. And, and for those kind of, well, what's the distance to the moon? Or what time is it in San Francisco? Or what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Or when is the opening hours of a particular restaurant? Um, and those are the type of queries that Google mostly answers directly. You don't need to go to a website to see the distance to the moon. Uh, Google yeah, will just, answer. Just that. can I jump into this because yeah. this is also very interesting because this is a recent, like let's say recent. I, I mm -hmm. don't know when it started, but let's say it's recent innovation that the results are served directly as the answers on the search results. Yeah. And my my take on it is twofold. It's either um, you know the, the the website that serves this result gets I uh, know. Um, Google goes around this website just providing the answer so you mm -hmm. don't get as the user got onto the website so there is no page view from this uh, from this query or on the other hand the result is so tempting and interesting for the customer or user that goes to this to this um, result because this was so high um, high mm -hmm. value answer to the question at hand mm -hmm. What's your take? Because, you know, I, I, I don't really know. And I have like a funny comment on this. You know, if I search, uh, what's the distance to the moon? And I got onto the website, you know, with that, you know, fluffy answers. It's like this. People were always thinking, what's the distance to the moon? You know, there were researches and the answer, you know, stuff like this. NASA, you know, uh, sent uh, first astronaut to the moon in this and this year. And the answer to my question, what's the distance to the moon, would be hidden somewhere at the very end of the article. So, you know, <laughs> this is my experience with this kind of articles. But um, what's your take on those? Uh, and it, it, What's the name of this uh, of this mechanism? Because I, I just forgot what's the what's the name of this um, uh, of those answers as snippets no. on the search results. Yeah, I mean they are called. It's a, it's a big topic of discussion lately in the last few years. They're called zero click searches. Okay, that's kind of the percentage. And and currently the last number I have it's fifty three percent. So more than half of all searches conducted on Google are zero click searches. And when it started, they're called uh, like uh, featured snippets on top of Google, or there may be other uh, SERP uh, features that answer the question directly, where people don't need to click through to a website. So when this started, I don't know, a, few, a handful of years ago, there was a huge outcry in the community because Google is taking away traffic from websites. And, uh, and now a few years later, when the dust has settled, Yes, there was damage to a lot of websites. Like there used to be websites that did currency conversion <laughs> or time zone conversion or, uh, well, soon it'll be like a flight search, uh, fl like flight comparison websites like Expedia. I'm a little bit in trouble. Uh, there is Google Flights. I'm a uh, heavy user of that Flights, service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but for these kind of things, of course, they lost all the traffic. Nobody needs those kind of uh, things anymore because people started using Google as a knowledge graph. You go to Google and say, how long can I keep pizza in the fridge? Or how, what's the distance to the moon? Or other things. And you get a direct answer. But the truth of the matter is that anything that can be answered with a one sentence or a one number, you don't need to go to a website. 
And when you, even if you go to a website, if you have to go to the website to find it there, what's the benefit to the website owner? It's basically to sell ads, to get clicks on the page and then, and then sell ad space. That was the business model, mostly of those sites, those made for AdSense sites, uh, that you, you write a whole bunch of articles about a whole bunch of topics, get traffic from Google and then sell ad space on those pages. I know you might check. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that business model is kind of, kind of dead. I do have, I find it interesting, the zero click search results because a good portion of those 53% is not that Google is stealing traffic from web pages. It's where people um, modify the search query. If you type in uh, Hotel Prague and then you realize, oh, I'm not really getting the search results I expected and then retype in, I don't know, three-star family-friendly Hotel Prague Center, um, that was a zero-click search before, but it was just a bad search and nobody got hurt, right? You didn't, Google didn't take traffic from anybody. Um, and then there are those searches where you, you can answer a query, uh, Google can answer the query and they take the content from a website, for example, for recipes. There's a recipe snippet on top of the search results uh, and the, the the author of the recipe or the website Google takes it from is mentioned there. And of course, if, if it's a quick how to make a mojito or something, you don't need to go to the website. You can just do it from there. But it still builds, it's still good to get that. Like we will actively optimize sites to get SERP features on the search results because it's good for authority. And when a user is really interested in it and wants to read more and is interested in what uh, the reviews are on that recipe, for example, what the discussion is below, people will click through and get to the website. Um, mm -hmm. So th this, this also touches on what you said before. There are businesses that know the SEO, that the SEO is very important for them. And there are organizations that, you know, have, you know, 150 client base worldwide. And this is a different story. So with recipes, this is very interesting because, you know, if I am like a culinary blogger, I'm selling my ad space. I do the cooperations with, you know, manufacturers and so on. I want to have big traffic, but also me as, as the user, let's say, looking for a CP, I can go through this, uh, through this snippet, but most of the time, this is very difficult um, to, to follow this. There are, you know, on, on, when recipes are, you know, explained, there are images. So this is the content I can look for in depth and the snippet can be used just to glance. If I'm, you know, interested in this kind of uh, recipe without having to load the whole website and get annoyed by the ads, you know, and affiliations on that particular page. And, uh, and th 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 this makes sense. So in this sense, I don't see this as a, you know, s stealing traffic, uh, but rather, you know, making uh, the end user comfortable with selecting particular website because this is Google is doing the initial fil filtering for you instead of you doing the you no know, and, and you know I I'm very against ads on on websites I know this is the business model but when I'm log logging in on on not logging in but when I'm loading the page this is for me as the end user 
it's it, it's terrible experience uh, that the website is full of ads and you know there are certain businesses that are SEO heavy let's say in terms of you know their their orientation business model just as you said you know for for spelling spelling selling ad space you know we have a number of clients that sell ad space that one one of our bigger ones in the US they started out as a consulting business but then their website had so much traffic they became so popular and it's a field where the ads are expensive it's education like high end mba programs in the US where it's it's really expensive to go to those schools um and those schools also want a lot of data and they want the best applicants in the world so they started off as a consulting business but then got so much traffic they started making more money selling ads than consulting so they faded that out and now just are uh, living off ads and the way we integrate ads on this website is by making it helpful like useful information to the user if you search for an article about what gmat score you need at at the minimum to get into Howard Business School uh, you will find that information on the website and then there will be an ad for Howard Business School or a comparable top level Ivory League uh, school and then i don't see that as a disturbing ad exactly uh, but this is very content specific this is totally different story i'm i'm talking about a situation where i want to do a mojito and the ads are selling me everything from you know the shaker to the you know lemon you know all sorts of stuff and also unrelated stuff because this is let's say you know from other sources like i don't know what but you know financial services stuff that i'm not interested cars whatever it's like this this kind of non-related content that is not interesting for me and in 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 the case you are referring to this is like necessary necessary element of the website even so the yeah ads- it is the other the, the other thing i want to a <laughs> little bit uh i i fully understand where you're coming from but we run those ads campaigns for our clients as well right and, and, oops and, <laughs> and and the thing is the reason why you see an unrelated ad like with this particular project we control the ads there it's not google adsense it's it's actual selling ads based particular and we have our own ad server um but most of the time website owners sell ad space to google via google adsense and then the google is kind of free to put there whatever they think is relevant um and when we run ad campaigns we sometimes target them according to the content of the page so you can say if on the page certain words appear and the topic is this then we show our ads otherwise we don't uh so the ad displays tied to the content of the page you can also tie the ad uh placement to the person that's seeing the ad that's in the form of remarketing if you visited a particular page on a website i can then show you ads about that product if you for example you went on a page maybe added a product to the shopping cart but then didn't check out then i can start showing you ads of that product everybody knows those from amazon if you go look at something on amazon you will always see that thing on every page you go to and it's not it's actual the case it's not when everybody knows the psychological effect that when you need new shoes you start paying attention to other people's shoes 
uh, or you're looking forward to buy a new car, you look, start for the first time seeing that kind of car and think it's everywhere all of a sudden. Yeah. Recency bias. It's, it's yeah. even more more um, visible and you did buy that yeah. car so, and you are seeing that same you, car you, everywhere. You everywhere. <laughs> Everyone but, has my car. <laughs> That, that's a psychological effect. Yeah, or de- I have to de- change de- the car again. We have. Uh, yeah. But then uh, <clears throat> what I'm talking about is it's actually happening. <laughs> so you look at something and you retarget it, you remarket it. I can show you three ads per day of that product. And I can show you a different message than to a person who hasn't been on my page yet. Uh, and then I can also target people via their interests or the geolocation or any other number of factors. I mean, on, on Facebook, it's it's unreal how exact the targeting can be. It's it's quite shocking. I mean, we, we use it, yes, for the benefit of our clients, but as a user, sometimes I'm like, you, you shouldn't be allowed to do this <laughs> as a marketer. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, uh, it, it can be also used for, you know, <laughs> not so novel things as to sell yeah, products, but we, I, I, I restrain myself into, you know, <laughs> jumping into <laughs> that rabbit hole. But, you know, this is, you know, it's interesting, uh, the picture you are lying, uh, like laying out because there is that SEO part that helps that drive the traffic. And then there is that remarketing that, you know, when you um, gathered the attention of the user, you can chase that user with remarketing, let's say, or, or, or with ad, or with ads. So it, it, it's interesting uh, to understand the bigger picture, how those different tools engage with the end user at different stages of his um, of his journey or her journey around the web um, and what would what do you find most interesting uh, in, in in this SEO space like or challenging or you know what what what, uh, what keeps you at night as they as they say yeah. know, re- regarding SEO yeah so there, there are two questions here I'll start with the, with the first one that we usually, I mean, they're low uh, priced products where you, you show the product, you show an ad, people searches organically, finds it, buys it. Game over. Story, it's finished. But um, most of the time, there's a longer customer journey. And our goal is, and this is where cross-channel marketing comes in, to create as many touch points uh, as possible. So you don't, with higher priced products or services that are more important, that are kind of more long-term decisions, you can't just pop up at the very end and say, hey, buy me, I'm the best. Because people don't know you, they don't trust you. Uh, Let's take the example of buying a new bicycle. I like bicycles, I ride it everywhere. And um, you want to create a touch point very early on if I search for, okay, how to clean my bicycle chain or what kind of tires do I need? Do I, what, like a, uh, do I buy a gravel, pi- gravel bike or a road bike? These kind of decisions that are early on in the decision-making process. And then if you give me the content, if you provide the content that answers my questions, that helps me in my decision-making process through organic SEO, I will start having a good feeling for you. I will start to trust you because you've helped me out with good content. And then you create touch points through retargeting. You create touch points on social media platforms. Uh, you do other PR, um, 
and then you uh, people recommend you so you have maybe a uh, brand evangelists uh, helping and then you create as many touch points so at the very end when when the customer is ready to buy something to whip out the credit card um, they will go with the the brand they have the best uh, emotional affiliation to that the brand that's helped them before that the brand they trust um, so that's the importance of creating as many touch points as possible and not neglecting um, particular channels, um, because some 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 businesses only look at this, the last click before conversion, like what led to the last conversion. But you have to really think in in terms of attribution models. Look at the whole chain of events that led to the last click, uh, and see which are the important steps or which steps are are there. Then. For example, display ads never lead to conversions or, or social media ads. There's certain products it works, but others it, it doesn't. Um, informational search queries where you serve a blog post or a tutorial rarely lead to conversions, but they lead to a lot of assisted conversions. So it's really important to look at the whole chain of uh, uh, customer journey and, and uh really um, build your own attribution model that makes sense for your business. The other question, why I like what I like about SEO. Um, I think that the thing I like most is something we already talked about is the first step, the, the keyword research, the content strategy, um, the understanding what people really want and need, because that's the part that takes a lot of empathy. That's the part that an AI couldn't do for you, really, um, where you need. And, and I find it interesting because it allows me to dive into other worlds, like uh, completely other experiences that I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, that research topics that I wouldn't otherwise research. And I, I can get excited about almost every topic we have. I mean, obviously, a, um, a, a crime scene cleanup service will be more interesting to research than a, a, a credit insurance service. Um, but I, that's the part I really like most to go into what does our customer, our client need? What are their goals, the internal business goals? because they may vary a lot. And then what are their potential customers? Who are they? What do they do on the internet? What problems may they have apart from the obvious? Um, and how can I reach them? How can I help them? How can I provide something of value to them that first Google will rank because it's valuable and two, the people will appreciate and then come back and build a good relationship with the brand. Mm -hmm. All right. And, uh, you know, you touched you touched on the AI topic. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's a very interesting topic for me, and I'm like paying a little attention to it. And you know, Stable Diffusion 2.0 was released yesterday. It's it's a tool mm -hmm. for you know you know a text prompt to generate images, and the amount of attention it grabs is mind blowing. It's it like a number of GitHub stars 
I, I saw the graph yesterday. You know, within a couple of weeks, they gathered, uh, I think, like 30,000 stars on GitHub. The, the, the curve compared to other technologies is just, you know, vertical. It's like vertical line. And the release of new GPT uh, based, you know, services is very like um, faster and faster. Do, do you really think that the AI wouldn't assist uh, SEO's like um, strategy? Because I'm asking about this because there is like an like also huge number of AI writing services that helps you that help you write a blog post or at least write a structure of the blog post, then fill the content, uh, write a summary of something. Uh, Trans, um, do that speech to text, then fix your grammar. You know, there is so much AI assisted stuff around language and writing that, you know, and SEO is very, uh, very close to writing, right? So also Google, Google does the same for analyzing. So I see this as a very close field that could be not maybe disrupted, but heavily assisted with AI. Yes, definitely. I fully agree with you. However, what I talked earlier, I think AI can be really good at one thing. It can be so much better than any human could ever be at one thing, at one discipline. But with things that are interdisciplinarian, that, that need to a holistic thinking that considers many factors from different areas uh, and take a lot of experience to come to a conclusion or to make the right decision. I think that's going to be really difficult for an AI to cover because how do you feed all that information in there from so many different channels, how to sort it, how to get experience. Um, with text creation, AI is amazing. I mean, the images you, you wrote, sometimes we don't I think it's going to be a competitor to iStock Photo. I get the images because sometimes we don't even buy the iStock photos anymore. We just generate them. What do we need? It's, it's, it's so you're using better. this already? Yeah, totally. We're using it. Yeah. Um, with text, I think it's a bit of an arms race between AI-generated text and Google's AI-detecting AI-generated text. All right. So Google is counterfighting counter this? Yeah, they're, they're very clear. They're, they're open about it, that they want to filter out AI-generated content from the search results and not feature it prominently. Um, so that's why I say it's a bit of an arms race. How good is the AI-generated content and how good is Google's AI in detecting it? Um, of course, we do use it, for example, with uh, translations. Uh, we don't translate German to English or English to German manually. We translate it through Deeple or through Google Translate. Uh, and then, of course, edit it a little bit and, and give it a, a personal With another touch. AI tool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that both of our jobs as a developer, as an SEO, will be heavily influenced by AI in the next, in the coming years. With SEO, it makes life a little bit more difficult because Google is using more and more AI in the search algorithm and in the, in the understanding of the search queries um, and in the algorithm for displaying ads, for ranking, in the actual ranking algorithm. Um, 
And they consider a lot of factors like user experience, page speed, technical stuff, relevance, authority. But, but the way these things are weighed um, depend on AI. So we know page speed is a factor for rankings. But it's, it's a bigger factor for a news website than it is for, I don't know, a, a website that sells uh, steel panels for uh, construction, where page speed may not be that important to the target audience. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the, the uh, level to, that these things are weighed at um, is it's AI controlled. So it, it's difficult for, for an SEO to understand what are the factors that really matter now in this particular case. This is something, again, that uh, takes experience and observation what does the competition do? Who ranks well now, etc. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, before long, AI is going to start writing better code than you can. And, uh, yeah, there is already a problem it, there. I mean, uh, I mean, for, for that, <laughs> certain technologies. I mean, there is GitHub Copilot already. You know. Uh, Making, I, I think for some projects like 40% uh, of the code written by, by the person and um, there is that service called Replit, it's an IDE in the browser and they are planning to, they have their own code assistant, but uh, I read yesterday again on Twitter that they are planning to build a tool that not only would um, like foresee and advise, you know, fill in the snippets for for loops or while loops or you know different uh, dif different stuff but but work in a way that understand what the developer wants to write what's the um, what's the subject of the piece of code let's say not not like on the next few lines level but rather on the next uh function level let's say or or um, or procedure level something like this like replace uh, uh, it's called you know pair programming so like re like assist us that second developer in that pair programming um, approach uh, to code dev code development I'm very interested how they will do this what will be the end product because this was only the the promise, the announcement that they will be working on something like this. So I'm, I'm also because there are so many developers that, and it's like quantifiable field where there are very strict rules around the code creation. You can follow the rules, and AI is especially um, proficient, like um, um, let's say proficient in those fields where there are certain codified rules. Like mm -hmm. language is also codified very it's, strictly. It's, it's, it's amazing. Have you? Re I mean, I've tested it. I had it right. Like, you can start with Mary went into a supermarket, and then, and then it'll write a story for you. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and uh, before long, I'm sure it won't take long before Google comes up with because they use this stuff uh, with writing their own recipes. So it's not going to be anymore according to chefkoch.de, uh, whatever you have in English, uh, cooking.com, I don't know. Uh, this is the recipe, but it'll be like, this is the recipe. And then if you, if you ask uh, Google, give me a recipe for, I don't know, eggplants, carrots, raisins, and soy milk, 
and then they'll come up with something that you can make with those four ingredients uh, <laughs> and that uh, based never on what they learned. That's yes. never even existed. Come exactly. up with something completely new because there is the data. You, you have millions of recipes there. AI can learn it in that particular niche and become better than any chef cook could ever be. That's what I meant. In, in one field, it can be extremely powerful and good. But the interdisciplinary stuff I'm not sure if they yeah, tackled that true. anytime it's soon. It's like AI has terrible problems with uh, generating. Um, when you're generating an image, the the hands are terrible. They are always distorted. They they look like paws or you know um, horse uh, like uh, foot. Uh, I forgot the word for horses. You know, end of the leg. Let's say. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the face is amazing, eyes, face, and um, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm following this, uh, you know, from the sidelines, not involved, like, hands-on, uh, but I'm thinking about <laughs> some kind of tutorials to, to get my hands it's, dirty with it's, this. It's, it's interesting, probably there's just more data on faces than on exactly. feet, right? There are more images on the web on, of faces than of feet. Yeah, but, but in, even in, um, when you were... Um, um, when you were hiring a master painter to do your portrait, the portrait was X, Guldens, or whatever the currency, and the hands were half of that. So if you were wealthy, uh, a wealthy person, you had portray with hands visible, and if not, then there was like a, a shawl on your hands, uh, hiding your, your, your hands, because they were so difficult to paint that they were constituting like a significant amount of price of the painting itself. So uh, my, my, my wife has studied history of art, so I'm, <laughs> That's a, uh, very interesting I remember fact. some stuff from that period. Mm. Yeah. All right. So what do you think would be the best approach when building a new website from a SEO perspective? So let, let's imagine you are building a new website and you are not very mm, particularly knowledgeable about SEO matters. So what's the like rule of thumb, like a uh, sane approach to mm, making sure you can do as much as you can regarding SEO for the website, uh, not to like distract your good reputation, for example, mm -hmm. destroy your good reputation, for example, or don't do harm when launching a new website. Okay. Like common sense rules. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one, I think we've covered that already a lot, but know your target audience, know who you, who your target audience is, who the decision makers are, if you're B2B, who makes the decision within the companies, what that style of language is, uh, and, and then match that. Give, give the people what they need. First, find out who, who do you want to speak to? What do they want to hear? And then tell them that. Don't, the webs, your website is not for you. It's, it's not about you. <laughs> uh, it, you don't need to portray your company in, in a certain way. Most websites speak too much about themselves and not to the customer to the potential customer. So find out what the customer wants and realize the website is for them. It's not, it's not for you. Um, and then technically, well, you have that covered. Then you have to structure the content. I think the site architecture, information architecture and navigation is one of the most crucial points that's oftentimes neglected. What kind of content content do you produce for what person, for what target audience? And how is the internal linking structure? 
Now, if your website has 50 or 100 pages, it doesn't really matter uh, that much. But if, if it's a few thousand or hundreds of thousands of pages, because you have a lot of products, you really have to think about how you interlink them, how you create navigational paths into the websites for users, for Google. Uh, you can't just have a search bar there or JavaScript filter options and then on the same URL generate various different lists because Google cannot work with that. They don't have landing pages. You need to create some kind of directory navigational structure for crawlers, for bots to find the content on your website and for users to also find it. And ideally, you have, you'll have multiple paths to the pieces of content and cross-reference things on deeper levels. So I think that that is one of the most important decisions early on. How do you structure your content? And it depends on the size of your website, obviously, but this is very important. Then how to structure it on a page that there's a particular page structure. Uh, where do you put your content, your text, your videos, your products uh, on a page and kind of have a semantic proper structure with headings and content and make sure that uh, bots Google can crawl and index all the content on your page. Mm -hmm. uh, can, uh, can, can we stop here a little bit yeah. more? So can, can you explain how to, you know, how to think about this? Because what does it mean proper structure? Uh, you know, my guess is that every designer uh, thinks he or she is designing proper structure and then every developer thinks he or she is coding this, you know, because this is proper structure. But what does it mean this is proper structure from a SEO okay, perspective? Yeah. Uh, basically, every page has a title tag. That's one of the most important ranking factors of it. Some meta tags that are more or less important. Uh, and then there's a one H1 heading that's marked up in HTML as H1, that gives the topic of the page, that contains the most important keywords of the page, and then there's text. And then you want to structure your text. You want to have subheadings, H2s, H3s. You want bullet lists. You want images in there. Uh, and then relevant information, if you have a product, you need the price, you need if it's available or not, what kind of modalities are there, colors, sizes, etc. Uh, for local services, there may be an address, etc. So you have all that displayed on the page, everything that the client, the customer expects from the page. Uh, you have clean HTML, so you structure it in H1, paragraphs, H2s, uh, ULs, etc. Uh, and then you use something uh, like schema.org markup, where you have uh, uh, markup for certain elements, like the author of this article is this person, this person works for this organization or company and also wrote these other articles and spoke at these conferences. Hence, he or she has a lot of authority. And uh, the topic of this article is here images, etc. Or in case of a product, this is the name of the product, uh, this is the price, this is the currency, <laughs> is it available or not, is it a digital product for download or is it a physical product to send. These kind of information, that really helps search engines or any kind of crawlers to understand the content of your page. All right, thanks. Thanks. Then, then what? 
Then what? Uh, make it search engine friendly. That's what we talked about. So structure your content. Make sure you have the right type of content. Structure your content. Solve the problems. Um, focus on user experience. And probably the number one in that is page speed. Make it fast. Mm -hmm. um, but you also mentioned that you know page speed is not for as important for everyone, right? So, uh, you know... Yeah, that's to make a different point. Okay. Uh, now, uh, where we are at this point, how to do SEO, just just assume that it's important. Okay. Uh, there's, no, there's no harm in making your website fast. Your clients will thank you. Uh, everybody will be happy. And uh, I would, if, if there's a compromise to be had between making it look perfectly or making it load faster, lean towards making it load fast. Um, there, there's no reason to make, to have images on your page that are, I don't know, one megabyte large. Uh, you can't see the difference anyway, and but you can see the difference whether it loads fast or not. Um, so make sure your code is clean and lean. Uh, don't use, in, in the case of WordPress, which talking about WordPress, it's, I love it. It's an excellent content management system. It's very search engine friendly, if you can say that. I mean, Google doesn't really care what generates the code as long as the code is clean. And usually WordPress comes up with fairly clean code, unless you use multi-purpose themes and 115 plugins. Uh, that this tends comes to slow with other problems down. as well. <laughs> so. so if you want a fast website, go hire awesome studios and uh, Get it, get it developed by by good developers who understand lean, clean, beautiful code, and and that that influences page speed a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, you know there is that common knowledge that um, Google prefers to serve content or at least analyze content, analyze websites from the mobile perspective. How does this, you know, in in your experience, how? No, how true is this? Uh, you know, because it's easier to get ninety plus points scores on page speed for desktop, but it's much harder on mobile. And you know, what's your what's your take on this? How much? How how important is this? Okay, as a background info, to go a little bit back, uh, I think two years ago, Google switched to a mobile first index, so they will they they crawl. Uh, with a headless browser emulating a, a, a mobile device. So if you have two versions of a website, a mobile version and a desktop version, which I hope nobody has anymore, but Google will only crawl the mobile version, not the desktop version. If you have a responsive page, which I hope everybody does, um, and certain elements are hidden on, des uh, on mobile, but visible on desktop. Google will see it as hidden, requiring an action to toggle something open. So Google crawls and considers only the mobile rendered version of the page. Uh, now, when it comes to page speed, um, there's the field data and the lab data. So most people get a higher score in the lab, uh, on, the, on the lab data because it's a controlled environment. Of course, the field data is more important to us. It's what we're really interested in and what Google uses when they have enough field data. Uh, for a website with very so, uh, little volume traffic, um, there's not really any field data. Um, 
And then it depends on if the majority of your users, and for some sites that's the case in B2B, for example, are desktop users, Google will just have more data from desktop users and may, not exactly sure, may value that more than the mobile field data. Uh, the reason why mobile field data is, is oftentimes worse than desktop data is because internet connections tend to be slow on mobile devices. The rendering takes slow. Not everybody has an iPhone. What's the latest one? 13? 14 now. 14. I don't know. They keep, there are too many. They're too fast in the, uh, bringing out new ones. Not everybody has an iPhone 14 that's super fast and the best internet connection. Uh, depending on your target audience. Uh, and what country you serve to. Uh, there's, there's a big difference between uh, internet connections in Australia and in South Korea or countries where, where it's super fast. Germany tends to be a little bit slow on the slow side for internet connections. Uh, but then you have to really consider the market and it depends on what kind of mobile devices people use there, how fast they are, how fast the internet connections are. So these factors also influence uh, the field data that you see in this Google mm -hmm. and and how this how this is used by Google. So is it like does this penalize the website owner if he or she has a you know slow mobile version? Because you know I see this a lot. Like mobile version is uh, is failing. Most of the sites I test are failing mobile mobile scores on page speed. Mm -hmm. um, I don't work for Google, so I can't really right. Yeah, I don't. This is, this is give, always give tricky. You, <laughs> give you an exact them. answer to, to the question. There's something that's the core web vitals came out, I think, last year. And, and I really like that because before that, page, everybody talked about page speed. Everybody knew it was a ranking factor. But what is page speed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was referring to, to core vitals. I don't know, does the ad on the very bottom of your page, like three meters scroll depth down, affect, I don't know. And now with the core web vitals, we have actually uh, KPIs that we can follow, that we can track, that we get data on, and that we can optimize. So I would assume those are the things Google looks at, uh, and those should be in the green area and not in the red area. How exactly Google weighs that into the ranking algorithm, I think depends on the topic and the competition. If in your field of uh, expertise or in your business, everybody has super slow websites, everybody is in red and you're orange, you'll be fine. Or is it yellow? I don't know. Yellow. You'll be fine, probably. It's like with, with a link spam. If you have a casino site, you're not going to get penalized for some link spam because everybody's spamming. If you are a doctor and you start spamming your site with, with bad links, you're probably going to get uh, penalized for that. Um, so, so it depends on the market, on the industry you're in. Um, but I would always consider PageSpeed to be hugely important. Uh, it is a ranking factor. Um, they look at uh, the mobile uh, data that is the more important KPI. So make sure that is above a certain level. Whether, to come back to your question, whether there's a threshold 
if you're slower than that, you get penalized. That is possible. Whether you, whether, if your score improves from 92 to 98, I don't know if that makes any difference to your rankings, honestly. If it has a measurable or effect on, on how, or a perceivable effect on the page speed, it may well have, have an effect on the rankings, yes. But at a certain point, I think it's just a numbers game. It's not a beauty contest yes. we're trying to win. Yeah, so again, it's it's common sense and the aim to score as high as possible because this will be for the benefit of the user that will have the faster website, but not to overkill it. Over yeah. 90%, it's, it's, it's mm, just for the sake of having more, probably. Yeah, at some point, I think so. And, you know, I'm thinking also when when people are looking for the for help with the SEO, it's 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 wild out there. Uh, my my um, it, w when you're looking for the SEO, it's agency or help. It's very hard to decide if I'm talking with legit agency, legit experts, or mm -hmm. I like snake oil sellers, something like this. This is this is. Very important to have a good partner because this is not mm -hmm. the results. In my opinion, the results are not coming like next day over. It, it doesn't happen overnight. So there is a lot of um, like stress and there is a lot of um, problems to understand if the agency is doing the good work. So mm -hmm. unless you hire someone and wait half a year, you won't know. So how to minimize bad choice how to mm -hmm. make, how to do whatever you can to make sure you are picking the right partner. So, what to look for in SEO agency? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. One thing it helps a lot if uh, you have in your team in your company somebody who has an understanding of SEO. Oh, that's some <laughs> understanding at least. That's, so that's surprising. It, 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 it is much easier to talk to an agency or to pick an agency if you have some background knowledge ah, okay. of it. On the client side. Um, on the ah, client okay, side. Okay. It's also either for, easier for an agency to work with a client if they have some understanding of SEO. So that that's kind of helps. But even if that's not there, I would say as a rule of thumb, if a full service agency, like if your web designer or a development agency tells you they can also do your SEO, it's usually not the case. <laughs> uh, everybody offers it. It's, it's, especially with full service, SEO is so important to most people's business. Uh, and developers usually just don't have the skill set. Designers don't have the skill set. It's a very particular skill set that involves uh, knowledge in, in many different niches and many different areas. Um, and most full service agencies just don't have a very strong SEO department, even if they say they do. Um, one thing I, I think is important to look for somebody that's the right size for you. If, if your budget for SEO is 2000 euros a month, for example, um, and you hire the biggest player, like the biggest SEO agency in your country, Chances are very high, they're not going to take you very seriously and you're going to end up with working, working with an intern there and not the, not the really experienced SEO experts. 
then on the other end of the spectrum, if you get a one-man show, um, you, it's a hit or miss. It may work out really well, uh, but it may also that if that person gets sick or goes on vacation and, and you have a crisis, what do you do? There's nobody to reach. So go for the agency that kind of fits your budget, fits your needs, fits your niche. Don't go above or too, too far below that. Um, how else? One thing that's good to start out with, because you said you only know after six months if it works out or not, and then you've wasted six months' time. It's a generalization, of, of course. <clears throat> I, I often like to start with an SEO audit um, where we have a, a smaller uh, project that's clearly defined, where we look at the website, we do the research, maybe come up with a keyword and uh, content strategy already, do an initial technical audit of the of the site and really get to understand the client, the target audience, what they need. And then at the end of that, have a discussion, plan the strategy for the next six months. And then I'm as an agency owner, I'm in a much better position to write them a proposal that's realistic, where I can sell them things they actually need. Because I hate selling things to people that they don't need or uh, so if I have a really good understanding of the, the client's needs, um, then it's much easier for me to sell them something that will actually help them. And on the other hand, the client will get to know us in that initial phase, see the quality of the work, take something away, like the, a good strategy and the first uh, technical audit. And then if it doesn't work out, usually it doesn't work out for both sides, or they see, okay, here this is a real competence, real quality of work, we like that we make a commitment for six months or 12 months because that trust is very important. I mean, we've had clients build them up for three months or six months and then a Google update comes and they just rankings drop by, I don't know, 70%, lose all their traffic. You need a good relationship to get through that phase and build it up again. Um, I think that's a good starting point. Also, it avoids that's some, a question I have for you, actually. Um, do you go to pitches that are not paid, like free pitches? We don't do project, any pitches. Larger project? You don't do? No, no. For two years now, I think, or more, we don't do pitches. We, we, we after being burned by one big like um, process, very big process, we decided, you know, no, no agency was picked. And after this, it, so it was huge investment from our side. It was like 200 hours. After this experience, uh, we decided never again. No, there are other players that are comfortable investing 200 hours into the pitch, doing you know 20 pitches uh, a quarter, for example, all you know put into the other clients and on a, on a winning client, right? Because you have to make up for this investment. So we, we, we said we never do um, this kind of processes with producing um, content presentations, uh, demo designs, nothing like this. Okay, we, so we're on the same page here. So that would be my advice to uh, businesses trying to look for an SEO agency or hire them. Don't, don't ask them to do a free pitch for you. They'll, if they do, they either desperate or they'll then do free pitches to other people afterwards and price it into your bill. Um, it's, it, it's lame. 
make make it an initial even a small audit package to get to know each other you can do that with three agencies then pick the best one uh, if that's what you want um, but i think that's usually for for like bigger jobs that's a good starting point to do something initial and then enter into a long-term commitment when the the basis of the business relationship is built yeah makes sense makes total sense um all right Thomas, is there anything like five minutes for 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 Thomas to uh, grab any topic you want? Is there anything you know if our listeners maybe would like to help you, or are you looking for help, or are you know anything you want to say? You can you can say it now. Wow. Yeah. Um, topics. I think we've covered so much. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is. Uh, agency running an agency the challenges of that and maybe an interesting topic for another podcast actually okay yeah how to run a digital agency what are the challenges there my main challenge currently is not finding clients but it's finding expanding the team growing the team um, so yeah if anybody here is listening and wants to work for an seo agency <laughs> yes. with some background knowledge in either paid ads or seo um, just give me a call Yeah, so we will include this in um, in the notes and uh, <laughs> and yeah, it, Thomas, it was pleasure to have a chat with you, and and I found the topic very topics very interesting. We we have covered, and I'm sure our listeners will also uh, grab something for themselves uh, to include in their either strategy or you know in their let's say toolkit um, in their companies. Yeah, I look forward to feedback. Uh, And yeah, thank you. I hope uh, we see each other again soon. Maybe you come to Vienna, give me a call. Yep, certainly, certainly. All right. All see right, you then. it was a pleasure. Bye, thank you. If you like what you've just heard, don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. On the other hand, if you've got a question we haven't answered yet, feel free to reach out to us directly. Just go to awesomestudio.com forward slash contact. Thanks for listening. And see you in the next episode of the Awesome to Know podcast. Thank you.